In episode 149 of the Futurized podcast, the topic is melanoma awareness. Our guest is Deb Girard, Executive Director of Impact Melanoma. In this conversation, we talk about the story of Impact Melanoma, what steps you can take at home matter the most to reducing melanoma risk at an individual level, and what will be the verdict on melanoma 10 years from now. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics, or are looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, you can look at the episode categories at futurize.org slash episodes. These are collections of your favorite episodes organized by topis, topic, such as entrepreneurship, trends, emerging tech, future work, or health. That'll help new listeners get a taste of everything that we do here, starting with a topic they're familiar with or want to go deeper in. At this stage, Futurize is lucky enough to have several sponsors. To check them out, go to futurize.org slash sponsors. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurize.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes with conversations that matter to the future. Thanks so much. Let's begin. Deb, how are you today? I'm great, Tron. How are you? I am doing fine, which actually is huge because after the marathon, <laughs> I had like two or three days of walking stairs backwards. No one tells you about this. Well, it is one of the things that happens, and it is one of the things that you feel like you've really won something when, you, when you're in that much pain. Yeah, and pain and suffering and, um, you know, you are in the business of awareness of how to avoid pain and suffering. Deb, you've been 20 years as an executive director of the national charity Impact Melanoma. And before that, I believe you, 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 your education is in psychology, then you've been in healthcare for a, a, a bunch of years, but, but then mm-hmm. 20 years at Impact Melanoma. Why did you end up um, engaging in melanoma mm-hmm. awareness and then staying in that field for what is, Such you know, a, a sizable amount of time? Well, there's a lot to do, right? There's a lot to do. So um, I think that um, that's one of the things that keeps me engaged. I initially got in this business. My father had um, had a melanoma and nobody knew 25 years ago what that even was. He was a lucky one. It, uh, he had surgery and was taken care of, but um, it made me think about um, what is this? And uh, if this can happen so easily to him, what about other people? And um, it was also a time in my career when I had been in healthcare management for a very long time. And um, one of my last jobs, I happened to be sitting next to, my office was next to the director of philanthropy for a hospital. And I thought, I watched what he was doing and he was clearly having way more fun than I was. And I thought, I've been doing this a long time. I need to do something that feels better at the end of the day. So um, I left, I took um, a job doing fundraising for a community um, health program. And then I, um, after a year or two, I decided it was time to uh, try being an executive director because I had all those skills anyway. Being an executive director is like being a jack of all trades, little, a little finance, a little fundraising, some leadership, all of those things and, um, and learn about your subject. So, um, so that's how it started. I um, was the first executive director for a very small organization called the Massachusetts Melanoma Foundation, started by um, a guy who 
who's lost his 40-year-old son to melanoma. And he and his son's friends started this organization with a golf tournament and the desire to provide um, prevention services, primarily for kids in schools. And um, that's how we started uh, in you know 2002. So uh, we've come a long way uh, since those days. Uh, in 2006, we decided that it was time to um, expand our horizons and move outside of Massachusetts. We had begun developing some programs for, um, for high school students, and we wanted to try it out on a bigger platform. Uh, so we expanded our scope and we expanded our name uh, and became the Melanoma Foundation of New England. Uh, and uh, we were in that position. We stayed there and did a lot of our primary prevention and education work until about 2015, and we had growing pains again. Um, and at that point, we had uh, five or six programs that we were um, bringing out to communities all over New England and thought, we can do this in a broader scope. We need to figure out how to do it without bricks and mortar. So that's what we did. We decided that um, uh, we needed to take our programs and uh, create e-learning opportunities that we could provide these programs anywhere, anytime. And at about that time, I had an opportunity to meet some folks at Constant Contact, the email marketing company, and they... Um, they had a think tank. And uh, so I had talked to them about, have you ever had a nonprofit in your think tank? And, you know, mostly they had a lot of people that were figuring out how to develop maps for finding beer after work on Fridays and, you know, some other high tech kinds of things, but they never had a, they never had, um, a nonprofit working with them. So lo and behold, we got in. So uh, four of us from the office moved from Concord, Massachusetts to Waltham to the think tank at Constant Contact. And we spent about five months there. And um, we had the opportunity to use all of their services. We um, not only did we learn how to create e-learning programs, we did it. We created new budget models. We, um, at that point, we were in such a kind of high gear creative mode that um, it was a point in time when the city of Boston um, was beginning, somebody had come to them and was interested in providing sunscreen uh, to the community. And mm. uh, we, they called us and uh, we began working on this sunscreen dispenser program. So, uh, which really looks like a marketing program so that organizations that are interested in getting their name out and providing something for their community have a great way to do it. So uh, we started that while we were um, at the think tank and uh, we uh, created a partnership with a sunscreen company in California and uh, we've been at it ever since. So that was just an amazing opportunity for us. We then moved back to our offices. We, um, we expanded, we built uh, you know, our whole new marketing plan, our whole new branding opportunity and um, we uh, started to build out, we uh, hired staff in both Austin, Texas and in Atlanta. Uh, and we still have uh, programs and services down there, but we had to scale back uh, when the pandemic hit. So um, we had to uh, protract a little bit, but um, 
you know, that that's the way life goes at this point. And mm-hmm. uh, we've been able to move forward since then um, and continue our work. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, very basic question, because, you know, what is melanoma? They, uh, you know, at the face of it, you know, it's the most serious form of skin cancer. But would you just lay out for us the, the importance of, of thinking of this disease in terms of kind of age ranges and lifespan? Because th- that's sort of the way that I think it seems like you, you have structured your entire activity. So it's not mm-hmm. just a bunch of programs. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you were explaining it first here as like a historical evolution. And that's perhaps how, uh, you know, that's one version of, of your organization. But the other version now as a fully fledged awareness initiative First of all, uh, you know, the impact in impact melanoma, I understand it stands for sort of improving melanoma prevention through awareness, care and teaching. What exactly is it that each of these programs do? And maybe we can kind of run through some of the programs, you know, from like cradle to to death, essentially, because you told me you shared with me that you think melanoma has evolved a bit as a disease. So this is not something. You're, you're not a nonprofit for sort of aging men like me. There's more to it than this. <laughs> there is more to it. But I will say that 20 years ago, when I started in this business, um, we were primarily seeing men over the age of 50. That was our major population at that point in time. And not only that, but, um, you know, if we saw anyone with any advanced disease, we knew that there were not a lot of options. There were very few treatments. And um, we were looking at, you know, we were looking at success rates of some, somewhere around 10 or 11%. So there wasn't really much out there that we could do. And part of our mission um, has never been medical research. And for me, that has always been a very important guiding force because honestly, um, finding a cure is incredibly important, but not getting the disease is a very important piece. And we're not going to do that until people are educated about uh, and have an understanding about their relationship with the sun and ultraviolet rays um, and begin taking it seriously from, uh, you know, birth on up. There was a point in time where we said, you know, you get about 90% of, of the uh, ultraviolet rays that could hurt you, you know, by the time you're a late teenager to a young adult. Well, that's just not true. What we're finding, of course, is that you get ultraviolet radiation that can be harmful throughout your lifetime. And it could take 10 or 20 years for a melanoma to advance. So, um, those are some of the things that I looked at early on in trying to figure out what particular populations we were going to begin working with. You know, I have a personal story uh, in melanoma, and you know, this podcast is not going to be about that. But as you are running through your programs, I wanted to just point out that this resonates quite a bit with me because. You know, my father passed away from melanoma in 1997. And to your point just earlier, there weren't that many options. And believe exactly. me, I was frantically searching for, you know, clinical trials and anything. But but he got uh, ill and it happened supposedly very fast. But the reason I'm mentioning it now when you said babies and, and smaller kids is 
as it turns out, and as we sort of are unwrapping uh, what sort of happened in his case, he was uh, the son of a missionary who went to Madagascar, an African yep. island, essentially. Lots of sun exposure. Yeah, and without any sunscreen from when, right. so when he was zero to five, he was running around on this tropical island, essentially, without sunscreen. And he always had a big mole on his back. And at some point when he was 45, I believe they got it uh, treated and it, part of it was removed or, you know, it was supposedly removed. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, he had been living with that uh, mole his entire life. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, who knows what it was. This was hard to diagnose at the time, but at some point it started acting up Correct. and then they thought they had caught it, but they didn't. And um, it was very ironic and sad because his uh, treatment plan for the first removal had just finished when he suddenly, you know, got pains and then got diagnosed the second time and then it was very much too late. Mm -hmm. So so bring me through these programs because they're for me they're not just marketing programs. They are immensely important. So exactly. what can you do from zero to five to avoid this horrible destiny? Well, so we needed to find something really interesting to do during the pandemic. And it, we're not going to talk about the pandemic except in that yes, we, we couldn't be out we couldn't be out doing education in the ways that we normally would. So we decided we needed a little step back. We needed to look at our programs and where we were. And was there a place for us to build something else out that could potentially start with us not having to have direct contact with people, but being able to provide important information? So um, we use the same model that we use for our sunscreen program which is that we go out and we work with communities for them to um, engage with us in supporting sunscreen dispensers. And so we thought, let's do that for um, uh, this very new population. What if we were able to provide information and some, uh, some tangible item for newborns, newborn families in obstetrical units in hospitals that are interested. So we developed a, a program called No Sun for Babies. And we really wanted to talk about the difference between taking care of a newborn in the sun and, you know, a younger child, a toddler, a younger child, because the issues for newborns, particularly up to six months, are very different. You know, there's so many issues around dehydration. And um, so... So we created this program. We um, have a wonderful dermatologist who um, is a pediatric derm who's providing some support for us. We have a blog and um, we have an opportunity to provide um, a backpack of material for newborn families. And in that, it are some, you know, in some cases, a sunshade that you put in your car, really important for, for babies. Um, some educational material. And uh, in a partnership with Cooley Bar, uh, who's a, um, a national uh, sun protective clothing company, we have a, um, a, a branded uh, baby blanket uh, that is to be used for strollers in car seats. That's very, you know, cooling to children, but keeps the rays out. And really our goal is to provide 
what new parents need to start the journey on developing their relationship with sun protection for their new family um, from the very beginning. Uh, so they can ask us questions. They can go to our blog. They can do a whole lot of things, but they start with some sun protective clothing and materials that um, give them a good start. So that's so, uh, that's babies, and then that's parents. So that brings yes. you into definitely into the parent discussion, and those exactly. are those are tricky discussions. They're right? very because tricky parents, discussions. Yeah, because parents bring to the table all of their own experiences, and right. um, you know, as as new parents, we all want to do what's best for our children, but we all bring the baggage of our you know of everything that we already know. Um, so providing, you know, and clearly what we find is that providing material, providing educational support for people gets rid of some of the disinformation. Uh, and it's, it's very rare that, um, that parents say, oh, this isn't important to me, particularly even, you know, um, the misnomer that, that people of color don't have to worry about these issues. And while uh, Caucasians maybe 20 to 30% more likely to ever see any kind of skin cancer than a person of color, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists differently. So, you know, we really try to keep those, um, to keep all of that information alive for people. And in as many places as we can, where people go to get information. And so we figured, you know, when you're leaving the hospital with a new baby, you leave with a lot of new material. But what we found with um, the hospitals that we've been working with is that they just love the opportunity. They, uh, you know, they, the, our stuff comes in a backpack. They can put some additional information in it. It's something people can take with them. And when they're out with their kids, they have a backpack that says no sun for babies. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to look at non-traditional ways to get these um, pieces of information out to the community at large. Deb, speaking about non-traditional ways, uh, let's move to teenagers. So the next <laughs> uh, next interesting group, I mean, we love teenagers, teenagers, right? Well, we all love them. I have two of them. Uh, yeah. uh, and they are a challenging uh, group for a different reason, right? They're uh, pretty much setting their own course, uh, being a parent for a teenager, famously difficult. I just can't imagine it can be very easy uh, to influence a teenager. I mean, I'm having trouble influencing my own teenagers, and I'm the parent. So how well, do you as an external um, organization? very often do think they're invincible. And kind of the traditional ways that um, people have taught about skin cancer, like, you know, don't forget, you know, you're just as likely to get wrinkles because UVA rays are aging rays. And they'll make you wrinkle. Well, when you're 16 or 15 or 14, the last thing you're going to think about is wrinkles when you're 40. So um, we need to address things in a different way. And this is one of the reasons that providing parents and educators and family members who are good role models, that's one of the things we do. So think about the fact that, you know, Parents are really good when kids are little about putting sunscreen on, talking about getting their shirts on and all of those things. Well, they have control over what their kid's behavior really is. But honestly, once they're preteens, 
um, and, and rebel a bit, two things are going to happen. Either they're going to believe that sun protection is an important thing, or they're going to say, this isn't an issue for me. I'm not doing that. Um, and worse. But there's a positive way of doing it too, though. Uh, exactly. I remember, um, I don't know, this was, it would perhaps be an example of not, not, not how, you know, how not to do it. I, I remember uh, registering for senior year in high school. I was over uh, in Connecticut and uh, the doctor who uh, did my checkup, he, you know, looked at me and he said, you're made for indoor usage. That's what... <laughs> Yep. So okay. So Fair that's a strict red. message. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's nice, you know. But it's a little bit of a harsh message for a teenager. So I was just it wondering, is. do you have you learned something in terms of teenage communication? You you well, mentioned to me earlier not to scare them. Scare tactics right. don't work. But we tried to take some of what was successful because from from the tobacco universe, right? Because the the other major public health initiatives in this country over 40 to 60 years at this point has been tobacco. And um, with younger people, the scare tactic just wasn't enough. So what was more important is to provide real information. And honestly, that's what we moved to. We didn't go with the scare tactic. We really went with, these are the things that can happen. Let us teach you the ABCDEs of looking at things that are new and evolving on your body so that you have some control. That you start doing, you start checking yourself um, for anything that looks new and evolving. And so um, probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more now, we created one of our flagship programs called Your Skin Is In. And this initially started as, um, we started it as a pledge program focused on uh, high school kids who were getting ready to go to prom. And our goal was to keep them out of tanning beds or, you know, from frying themselves on the beach before, uh, before prom. Because of course everybody needed a prom, needed a, a tan before they went to prom. So we really um, did a lot of work on that, and we did big education programs. We did lots of role play. We brought in young melanoma survivors for them to tell their stories, not the scare tactic, but really what it was like and what they did as very young people. And these were, you know, we would. Uh, seek out mel young melanoma survivors that were 20 years old, 25 years old, so that they weren't so far removed that kids couldn't relate to them. And um, then we asked them to get um, to work on a pledge program in their schools. And then, of course, we provided good prizes because that always helps, right? And um, We've, we did that for many years. It was very successful, you know, in schools where, where there was um, a, a teacher or a guidance counselor or a school nurse that was very supportive and was able to work with the kids. Um, uh, they've had very successful programs. And we've been into school systems where we worked with all of their junior and senior classes and did, you know, an afternoon of um, sun protection awareness. Um, 
And at this same point in time, we were working with legislatures, or at least around New England at that point, trying to pass tanning bed legislation to be able to keep kids under the age of 18 from being able to go to tanning beds uh, mm -hmm. because they are significantly uh, dangerous uh, for anybody. And um, we've been able to pass legislation in all of the New England states. And I will say in Massachusetts, it did take us 10 years to pass tanning bed legislation, but we did a few years ago to keep kids under the age of 18 um, out of tanning beds. And now we're looking at the FDA uh, to um, come up with some new guidelines for uh, on the federal side for tanning bed use. So that's where we needed to start to do this work. Got it. Let's move to work for a second. Um, it's uh, I've read on on uh, your website, and and I, I guess I was aware that outdoor workers obviously are uh, you know much more at risk. There was a figure eight x or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. almost ten times as much much as risk as as office workers. Uh, what can be done there? Are you working with employers or are you working directly with, uh, I know you also have a, a beauty program. So for women, you work with the professionals, you know, dermatologists and, and also out in, uh, I guess, beauty product uh, land uh, to everybody who's involved in that industry. Uh, but what do you do explicitly for, for, uh, for work? So for outdoor workers, you're right. They do have an increased risk of melanoma. And um, the interesting thing that we found is that when you talk to outdoor workers, construction workers, laborers ab about their sunscreen use, they'll, they'll say things like, well, when I go on vacation, my wife or my significant other or whomever makes me wear sunscreen, but I never think about it at work. And, uh, you know, it's sort of that hearing that from in multiple places sort of drove us to a place where we um, like to look at the risk of skin cancers and melanoma as a safety issue. And it's a safety issue in the workplace um, because there are lots of claims for people with melanoma. So um, we started a few years ago, particularly there's a, you know, safety week uh, in May, where um, companies are very focused on all of their safety issues. And we've been working with them at adding skin cancer to that. Um, and so a couple things happen in large construction companies, uh, where they have large building sites, uh, we go to the trailers where the nurses are and uh, do some education there. We um, provide sunscreen dispensers on the work site. Uh, and then um, we look for um, usually workplace lunch opportunities to meet with groups of employees just to, um, to run through the issues of how do you take care of yourself in the sun and what's your sun experience? Do you think about it when you're at work? So um, we also, excuse me, work it with <coughs> employers to provide sun protective clothing, sun protective hats or shirts. Um, and, you know, either individual sunscreen for them or making sure that there's sunscreen in the workplace. So those are um, ways that we are able to um, to reach out to companies um, across the uh, across the country. 
well, I want to talk about the the big fundraisers you're part of uh, because I was just part of one, and we were just alluding to it earlier. Uh, but maybe relatedly, uh, and sort of to sort of sum up this like three sixty five movement that you have through the ages. What, what about for older people more generally? What are some of the uh, programs and ways to reach older people with the more traditional group that uh, you know, like, like you said, men over fifty, or indeed any any aging person. How do you reach that group? Um, we've uh, used social media um, a great deal. Uh, uh, we used um, Facebook Live um, audiences to um, bring um, skin awareness, sun awareness to uh, the communities. We also use our Clearly, we use our fundraising events as major opportunities to train people. You know, we do one of the very first um, events that this organization did 25 years ago was a golf tournament. What better place to find the group of people that we really need to get to than the golf course? And um, we've trained thousands of people that way. And um, we have a very successful golf tournament every year. And when we think about the number of people that are there and then the number of people that they can influence by sharing what they've learned, um, we feel like that's a great way of getting to men over the age of 50. We do work with male publications, health publications. We have information in doctor's offices, um, you know, any places that we can find um, uh men and women and whomever that um, need to have the information. So I think those are important pieces. Um, separately from our Safe Skin at Work program, uh, where we actually also do a lot of work with park and rec departments to train lifeguards and park rangers and all of those folks, because not only are they in the sun, but they're with young people and, and, and families in the sun as well. So uh, we, we try to take care of them from that um, with those programs. The Skinny on Skin is um, a really cool initiative that's probably 10 years old now as well, uh, started by um, training beauty professionals to be a second set of eyes. It's not a program where you're diagnosing a skin cancer, but if you think about it, your beauty your, uh, your beautician, your esthetician, your barber, they see your skin. They see the back of your neck and your scalp way more than your doctor ever does. And so we decided that it made real sense for us to just train those folks um, to look for new and evolving lesions uh, on their client's scalp, neck, um, places that they can't see themselves. And, you know, the first pushback was, oh my goodness, we can't do this. Our clients come here to relax. You know, we can't tell them they're going to die. And so once we got through that, um, that's not what they were going to do. And they began to hear from folks, um, particularly the beauty professionals that, um, set, did say something to clients about something that they thought looked a little funky was a little different than they'd seen it before. And they got it checked and their clients began coming back and saying, I can't thank you enough. I think you might've saved my life. So we need to empower 
everybody in this movement. It doesn't need only to be primary care physicians and dermatologists. We need everybody engaged. And that is a really good way. We need people who are trained to look at what should be there and what shouldn't be there, to let their clients know that they're just a second pair of eyes. That's all. Um, I think they do an amazing amount of good. And, and, and since those early days, we train massage therapists and estheticians and really anybody that's looking at your back. We are currently um, in the process of partnering with um, a tattoo company that provides um, uh, post-tattoo products. Uh, uh, and we are going to partner with them because there are definitely issues about people that have uh, skin cancers and melanomas underneath their tattoos that can't be seen. So we want to, we want to um, educate tattoo artists about um, talk, making sure that they talk to their customers about um, look, be, being careful about what's under their tattoo and not tattooing over anything that looks like a dark mole or, or, or anything else. So that's kind of where we're pushing ahead at this point. But uh, really, Tron, all of our programs are really about how do we influence as many people out there to begin having the conversations about what's safe and what isn't in terms of sun protection. Yeah, and uh, this is what strikes me in this conversation is that y this is really a thrust that's, well, related and also unrelated to kind of, you know, people's big hopes for medicine and especially technology to solve all of our problems. And, you know, maybe, uh, but we don't have to sit and wait for the perfect melanoma scanner, right? You are, and we don't certainly have to sit and wait for, uh, you know, there be, there to be, uh, you know, 10,000 more doctors, you are actually training citizens and other professionals and essentially health is, of course, an individual responsibility, but you're kind of making it a collective responsibility. Yes. And that's very appealing. And, and it's very interesting, because it also shifts the resource needs, right? I mean, because if it's because if it becomes a more of a societal awareness game, then uh, it's not so much about, you know, money and, and ed education. It's about like training and awareness is, it's a it's much like a big cheaper. triage. It's like a big triage, John, big triage that, experiment. Yeah. That, um, you know, historically primary care physicians have not been the best place necessarily. And, and to go with these issues, they certainly can say, I'll send you to a dermatologist, but in reality, uh, medical students don't spend a lot of time on skin cancer-related issues. So um, really, we've done lots of training with primary care physicians, uh, both around spotting and around biopsy uh, uh, as a way to deal with the triage system so that we make sure that the people who need to get to derm get to derm. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of this work in much like in any cancers where there is um, a, a, a self that, that you need to um, you need to do your own self-detection. Uh, this is a really important place for people to be able to do a regular skin cancer check, much like you might do anything else, um, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, checking for breast cancer issues or prostate cancer issues. There are lots of um, lots of self 
self-evaluations um, we could do. And those are important as well. We just can't leave everything in the hands of the doctor. We need to take, we need to be our own best advocates. And that's a message that, that we like to tell people all the time. You are your best advocate. If you're not getting what you need, then you need to ask in a different place and you need to ask for more. Um, well, and so. it's so interesting, I think, uh, well, back to, to the, the fundraiser that I just uh, am taking part of, the, the marathon, and you mentioned golf tournaments, and I'm sure you have other, you have uh, the, uh, the gala fundraiser. We have a gala coming up, right? Coming up. But, but the thing with these things is, you know, it's not that I'm an influencer, but, you know, I guess we're all on the team there. We are micro-influencers. We're I all have influencers, noticed, absolutely. Right? Because I have noticed that the kinds of conversations that have surfaced just for me, and I just, you know, as you know, joined for the first time, but the kinds of conversations You'll be that back. I've had with people. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. People have shared stories with me about how their significant others or, you know, people People in their circle have had these stories that either went badly or, or not, and then they have had these personal touch points with melanoma or, or other types of cancer, because this also brings up, you know, the, the whole uh, kind of disease uh, spectrum. But it's been interesting. And I think uh, just having a small part of it as, as a micro-influencer, that certainly, um, I think it's having an effect. It, I feel meaningful in this role. I wanted to ask you about some of the other influencers that you've been enlisting because there's influencers are big and small, right? And but you they have are. from Hugh Jackman down to the TikTok heroes of the next generation. How have you built all of this? I guess it takes twenty years to build a mountain. It does. It takes a long time, and honestly, um, I feel like we have an amazing social media. Um, a group of people that are working with us and they're out there all the time looking for the stories. And um, there are some great ones out there, you know, and um, Hugh Jackson is just, you know, one of them that, that uh, has, and he's had multiple skin cancers and melanomas at this point, but uh, certainly celebrities do it. Um, you know, uh, Brooke Shields was up out there. There are, uh, uh, opportunities all the time. And the more people that share their story, the more people that go and have things checked themselves. Um, so we think those re are really important. I think some of the best influencers are melanoma survivors. Um, we really try on our website to have as many stories from melanoma survivors as we can, because that's really what makes a difference. It's the, oh, I felt like that, or that makes sense to me. Um, something that somebody can identify with. Um, you know, we have a part of our business that's just support. We um, have a program called Billy's Buddies, and that program really is to provide a mentor for somebody going through melanoma um, with somebody that's, uh, you know, on the other side and is doing well. Um, we provide some financial support for things that are really hard to get funded, like parking for the 27,000 times you have to go to the, you know, the doctor's office or babysitting or, you know, any of those things that are hard to find support for, we try to provide those things. You know, we very often pay somebody's utility bill for a month or we've done all sorts of crazy things, but whatever it is that helps people feel connected 
and feel supported, um, both they and their family, as they go through a really very difficult journey with melanoma. And then we provide support groups, um, both for patients and their family members. Um, right now, um, they are all on uh, virtually. But one of the silver linings of this pandemic is that our, the numbers that we have um, coming to our support groups have increased because nobody has to leave their house. And we can, um, we can uh, deal with more people around the country. So that's been a silver lining for us. Deb, what is the specter of of this disease as we, you know, are looking into the future? I know certainly when it comes to my story that, it, well, it took a very serious story for, for us to take it even more seriously. Now, mm-hmm. you know, my parents were very aware, uh, you know, that, that I was not a person that should be too much exposed to the sun. And, you know, I they bought me sunblock from early on. Unfortunately, those sunblocks were like all white. So I remember my childhood being the the person that showed up with a white yes. face. Luckily, things have started to happen there with the chemistry of of efficiency. Uh, you know, sunblocks that have gotten uh, somewhat easier to apply, even at higher SPFs and stuff. But uh, and I've had, you know, I think at least five moles removed, and I would undoubtedly have had some sort of touch point with this disease had I not done that. And I now get checkups every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm not, you know, just because I'm in a high risk group, what do you, what's going to decide the fate and destiny of this disease in the next decade? Is it awareness? Is it research and new treatments? Is it a combination? And, and, and what about the relationship that we as a society sort of have with sun and shade? It's like a love hate relationship. If you don't have sun, you, you love to be in the sun. And we need sun, you know, like yeah. we need some, we need a good dose of vitamin D, right? We need a little bit of sun, but uh, we need to understand how much sun is too much. And, and really, uh, it doesn't take much, you know, 15 minutes of sun is about what you need for vitamin D and anything over that, um, put your sunblock on. And that's why we're working on this hashtag of, you know, SPF 365, because you do need sunscreen every day. Um, you might not need it when the UV index is very low, but um, on days when the sun is out or it's cloudy and it, uh, that um, and you're going to be out, yes, you need it. And that's why we have sunscreen dispensers around you around communities as well. You put it on, and then oops, I forgot to bring my sunscreen with me. Um, hopefully, there's a sunscreen dispenser near where you are that you can put it on. And um, so, where do I think things are going? Well. I think I look at this in two ways. I can look at some people recently that are sick, stage four melanoma patients, uh, tremendous amount of treatment. And when I started in this business, stage four patients didn't have any treatment options, period. And even 10 years ago, stage three patients who um, were just starting to um, have some immunotherapies available but what would happen is that they would have uh, tumor shrinkage immediately and everybody would say, this is a miracle. But at that point, we didn't have the durability. And so they were coming right back. Um, but, you know, time has progressed. And I look now at melanoma survivors who are stage four, who are close to uh, no evidence of disease as a result of immunotherapies. And you know, to be stage four, you have to have multiple organs involved. And 
uh, even people that have brain lung involvement are doing better than we ever thought was possible. So, um, you know, there are still over 100,000 people diagnosed with melanoma every year. There's still about 7,800 people that die of melanoma every year. And there are still probably, uh, you know, a couple million skin cancers that are diagnosed every year. And the economic piece of that, you know, is like $3 billion to take care of all of these non-melanoma skin cancers that we get from, and 90% of them or so are really just related to sun. So um, I like to say, because in my business, in my world, it is really about prevention, education, and early detection. I think those are the really important issues that, you know, since the majority of melanomas are caused by the sun and really are, are um, n- number one, they're curable at very early stages and we don't have to get them if we are doing what we need to protect ourselves in the sun. Yes, there will always be a few melanomas in places on your body that never see the sun. And yes, there are some genetic linkages and all of those things. But let's just talk about the biggest number. The biggest number of melanomas can primarily, they never need to happen if we practice good sun prevention. If we wear, if we look at where the sun is, if we're not out laying in the sun uh, and, and, you know, wear sun protective clothing, wear sunscreen, do the things that you need to do. Find the shade when you can. Support shade initiatives. I think those are, you know, those are going to be really important. If you talk to people who are planning urban places and playgrounds and all of those things, shade is on the top of the list of things that they need to look at. Maybe wasn't 50 years ago, but it is now. So I say the more we get the message out about, you know, simple steps to protect yourself, in the sun, then um, you're promoting healthy skin and um, you're promoting a a safe relationship with the sun. We never want people to not go outdoors, right? We don't want couch potatoes. We want you to be outside. We want you to do all those things, but we want you to do them safely. Well, on that note, I think uh, it's so interesting that melanoma is going uh, into a stage, I guess, where it's a manageable situation if for many people that Mm -hmm. and for most people if you just are aware of what you're doing and uh you know take the appropriate uh precautions but but it's not a jail Uh, it's not a jail it's not like i did in my childhood with these uh, white sunscreens that made you look like a a clown well those uh, are still out there tron and um, when we started our sunscreen program that was the biggest barrier that we had was that natural sunscreen, titanium and zinc, which are our best ingredients, um, go on like paste. And everybody was frustrated. So um, including, you know, the people from the swimming pools whose, you know, uh, whose drains were getting clogged up. And so um, we've been through those things. And I think we we, we have some very nice new um, uh, sunscreens uh, that we're using in our dispensers. And um, I think we're in a much better place than we were five or seven years ago. 
So it is, at the end of the day, it is kind of innovation, invention, and attitudes hand in hand. It's, uh, you know, it's not one or the other because there no, have been No, and it's working together as a community. Um, and so I'll just give a quick push to um, um, our largest event is coming up on November 12th. It's our Shades of Hope Gala. Right. Um, it's an opportunity for us to uh, say thank you to people who have done amazing work for us. We have a Keeper of the Hope every year. And uh, she will be spotlighted at our event on November 12th. We really, of course, hoped to be together in person, but um, we will be virtually because it really is our mission to keep people safe. And uh, we're really feeling like we need to be virtual one more time. And uh, hopefully uh, when we meet again, we will be able to do so in person. But um, Tickets are available on our website at impactmelanoma.org, and it is virtual. It's uh, Our theme is Do You Believe in Magic? Uh, so it's going to be a really wonderful um, a wonderful evening, and I would just love people to join us to learn more about the work that we do and to uh, support the, um, the work that we do that hopefully is saving lives. Well, thank you. On that note, I, I thanks thank you so much for this conversation. I it's been keep wonderful. learning. Yeah, I keep learning a lot, and uh, I, I hope to keep engaging with. Impact yeah, keep Melanoma. running, Tron. Keep I running. Will. Yes, I will. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. You're welcome. You have just listened to episode 149 of the Futurized podcast with host Trunarna Unheim, futurist and author. If you are interested in Tron's products or services, feel free to check out futurized.org/store where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few of Tron's books such as Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership from Below. If you are interested in any or all of Tron's projects, check out his website at trontontime.com, which has links to his other podcasts as well as his public appearances. The topic of this episode was melanoma awareness and we talked about the impact melanoma story. My takeaway is that melanoma, the most lethal skin cancer, is not going away, but we are learning more about how to avoid it, how to manage it, and how to one day cure it through personalized treatments. In the meantime, melanoma awareness is where the game is at, and we can all do a bit to help raise awareness around us. You can personally help individuals in your surroundings reduce their exposure, discover a mole that needs to be checked out, or care for melanoma victims or affected family members. This one is personal to me. I know firsthand how melanoma can kill. Trust me when I say you want to avoid this fate for somebody you care about. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your pre preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 147, Health Tech Reboot, episode 100, The Future of Medicine is Invisible, or episode 120, Regenerative Medicine. Hopefully you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes. If so, do let us know by messaging us. We would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. Futurized is created in association with Yegi, the Insight Network. Yegi lets clients create multidisciplinary team, dream teams consisting of subject matter experts, academics, consultants, data scientists, and generalists. Yegi's services include speeches, briefings, seminars, reports, and ongoing monitoring. You can find Yegi at yegi.org. 
Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized. Conversations that matter.